the first time I performed, I felt weird because it was like, I don't often see people who look like me who are performers, so people that do, especially poetry. I don't know any poet that looks like me, except for the, after I met, like I got into involved with the telling room. That's why I was like, oh yeah, there's actually writers. Welcome to Voices of the Future. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. In this series, I'm interviewing young writers and poets from Maine, all of whom have participated in programs of The Telling Room, a nonprofit writing center in Portland. The Telling Room's mission is to empower youth through writing and to share their voices with the world. All of the authors in the series are featured in A New Land, an anthology of 30 poems written at The Telling Room. When I read or hear the work of these writers, I am moved by their enthusiasm, skill, and courage. Some of them were born in Maine, others have come here from Africa and the Middle East. I'll speak with urgency about their lives and their futures. Benedita Zalabantu is a senior at Portland High School. She was one of the youngest students ever accepted into the Telling Room's Young Writers and Leaders program, which is a leadership and creative writing group for multilingual and international students. In this episode, Benedita reads her poem, Drop of Melanin and Blood. We talk about how she wrote the poem for her family and for herself. My name is Benedita Zilobantu, and I'm from Portland, Maine, but I was originally born in Angola, and I immigrated here in 2013. So the poem is called Drop of Melanin and Blood. There's something about my brother that scares me. He's black and a man. He's a black man in a world where his skin symbolizes weapon. He's a black man in a place where his skin symbolizes thug. How can he move through the world when his own skin is a shield for protection? and a weapon for destruction. The way a black man walks in this world portrays them. The way a black man walks in this world scares them. A colored man walks with a weapon, meaning skin. A colored woman walks with labels that would define her, but can these labels be erased? Black boy, don't speak unless you're spoken to. Black boy, don't make a move. Black boy, don't just want handcuffed. At a young age, little black boys are taught how they should and should have acted when they stopped by the cups. Black boy, breathe. I want you to breathe. Black boy, you'll be treated as problem before they realize you're human. Black boy, keep your hands visible. Black boy, be scared, but not too scared. Black boy, you will matter. Don't you know a black man is born with a practice target that can never be removed? Don't you know black body's a weapon? My walk home with my little brother from the bus stop is always interesting. He talks about kindergartens if he were heaven, and I smile. Glad that I got a brother whose personality rivals my dad's. Sometimes we see birds, sometimes we see rain, sometimes we see snow. Ain't nothing but change. But we don't often see cups. One day we did, and he looked at me smiling as if it were his first time seeing a blue and white car before. It's the police car! He jumped and pointed with excitement. His round face looked at me, smiling with a missing tooth. His little brown skin always makes me happy, and I smiled. He don't know it yet. He's going to be seen as a threat as he grows up. It hits me. I'm afraid of how insecure he'll have to be around them around those who are trained to protect us but fail to 
I'm scared he won't be smiling at them anymore. Afraid he'll have to raise his hands up saying, don't shoot. Afraid he'll have to say, I can't breathe. Afraid my brother will look up at the sky and ask, why me? Afraid he'll have to say, I'm unarmed. I swear. I'm scared because I know. I know this is never going to end. I know there will be a lot of reasons he won't be able to breathe and the cups are one of them. I know he's getting ready for a war that I can prepare him for. Never really knowing when danger is around the corner. Never really knowing when danger is in the media. My melanin has meaning. It is profound, dark skin, so greedy, gobbles up now and so tangled. Look what it did to my hair, which he up in the sky in all angles. To teach someone about self-love, you got to start with yourself first. Your skin is not a dirty shirt that needs to be washed like yesterday's shirt. Your skin is like hot chocolate the warmest winter nights. Like rings around tree stumps, you have a history attached to your melanin. Never let the glaring whiteness blind you from the beauty that you are. Dark as a night sky, constellations are tucked neatly underneath your bones. You know what? When they call you dark as a night, tell them without you, the stars wouldn't have anything to shine for. Perfection was not your destination, dark girl. It was your starting point. Some say the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. I said the darker the flesh, then the longer the roots. Thank you. Thank you. Did you, you wrote that how long ago? I was a freshman. So three years ago. When you read it now, do you feel different than the person who wrote it? Or I feel like when I first wrote the poem, like, it was around the time where like everything with police brutality was like happening. The moment I realized my brother was gonna be different in American society was the first time I heard about Eric Garner. That was the first time I knew my brother was gonna be considered different. Then I heard about Trevor Martin and it just kept coming on, going on and on. I was like, wow, I came to America for a better life. And this is, this is what I also have to look for. Like, you know, like I mentioned, like I'm getting, he's getting ready for a word that I can prepare him for. Like all I'm doing is writing a poem. I mean, that's not necessarily going to help him. It's like, it's going to make him aware, but it's not like, oh yeah, like, you know, my sister writes poetry, blah, 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 blah. Like you can't kill me now. Right. You can't protect him. Yeah. I can't protect him with words. Right. I can't do that. And his skin can also be protected. That's why I was like, oh yeah, his skin is, it'll probably help you in sports. But it won't help you when you meet that's a cop. And then like reading it now with everything that's currently that have happened recently with the Black Lives Matter movement. It just, yeah, nothing really has changed. I think like whenever I read it, like I'm trying to be optimistic about it. But like when I was a freshman, it was like, oh, like he has to deal with this. He has to deal with that. And then now it's like, I hope he doesn't deal with this. I hope he doesn't deal with that. You know, when I read it, it's as if you could have written it now. Yeah, like it's so right powerful. Now. Yeah. You use a lot of repetition in your poem. Is that something you do often when you write? That's, yeah, this is just particularly for this poem. I feel like, you know, when I said, um, a young age, little black boys are taught how they should and should act when they're stopped by the cops. That's what, like, I was literally giving them direction on what right. to do and what not to do. 
Because I go, black boy, breathe. I want you to breathe. Black boy, you'll be treated as a problem before they realize you're human. But previous, before you look at a young, a young age, I say, black boy, don't speak unless you're spoken to. And then I go, don't make a move. Don't just wear a handcuff. It makes it very powerful. Yeah. As you keep on saying that. When you wrote it, you know, you move from, it's very directive, like talking to your brother, like what he shouldn't do. And then it, and it kind of shifts to this beautiful portrait of him missing a tooth. And then... Uh, I love this, uh, the line where you say, uh, dark as the night, constellations are tucked neatly underneath your bones. Was there like an, a moment of inspiration or what was the process? Well, my very first poem, right, is called um, The Black Skin I Live In. So when I start writing Drop of Melanin in Blood, I was thinking as if it was a, like, like a part two, it was almost like a part two of The Black Skin I Live In. Then as I continue editing, I was like, you know what? A lot of my poems, just specifically looking at the black skin I live in, because like, that's the one that people know a lot. And then so I was like, you know what? Let me focus on something else. Instead of focusing the whole like black community, let me focus on somebody that actually means a lot to me. Not that the rest of the people in the black community doesn't, but like, somebody that's like really close to me that will affect me if something like this were to happen to them. And so I was like, my brother... And then I was like, you know what? Let me talk about my dad. Because, like, my brother and my dad look, they're really alike. Like, really alike. So I was like, you know what? Like, let's combine this together. But, like, as I continue writing, it was almost like it wasn't about my brother anymore. It's about all the black boys I know. All the black little kids I know. So, um... During my freshman year, I lost my little cousin to gun violence. So I was also thinking about him. So it was my brother, my dad, my cousin, and also the rest of the black boys I know. The missing tooth. I always make fun of him for like missing a tooth. So I was like, you know what? Let me incorporate that into the poem. Because I feel like, like I'm talking about something that's not... It's not a happy topic. It's not something we, I particularly enjoy talking about. But like, at least let's have something that could make me smile when I'm reading it. So I was like, yeah, I'm missing tooth, yes. Kind of captures his innocence. Yeah. It really moves like, you know, it's like urgent. And then it has like a slower movement with your brother, you know, and then it ends with, a, I assume, kind of talking to yourself. So you move through a lot of territory. Like I was literally talking to myself when I said my melanin has meaning. I grew up with low self-esteem and dark skin in the Congolese community or Angolo community weren't looked at as beautiful. They still aren't. Those are like things I wanted somebody to at least let me know growing up. I was like, you know, I have to do this for myself. Not only for myself, but I was also doing it for my sister. And we're all different skin tones. I'm the darkest one and my sister is the lighter one. So like whenever I look at her, I don't want her to like feel like, oh, she's better than everybody else because she's lighter than people who are dark skin. And I don't want to look at myself and be like, I'm better than her because I'm dark skin. So it's just like, yeah, I'm teaching myself self-love, but I'm also reminding her to also love herself. Yeah. So even to say that line, to teach someone something about self-love, you've got to start with With yourself. I think that's a pretty profound line. So you were, so you were like 14 when you wrote that. Yeah, I was 14. So you finished that poem, do you think, wow, where'd that come from? I mean, did you, did it surprise you? I honestly don't know. Like, it always catches me off guard whenever like people hear me performing or I'm talking to somebody about poetry and they're like, oh my gosh, you're really good. I'm like, it's just writing. What are you talking about? That's the other thing about like, I don't know, talent. 
it's something that you have with you, but it's not something that you, you particularly like notice it a lot, unless people like actually bring it up to you. Because I remember like when I was in eighth grade, I started writing in eighth grade, and I remember my um, reading teacher was like, "You're you're such a good writer." I'm like, "Please do not call me that. I'm not a writer. I just write because you tell me to write. Like I'm not doing this because I like doing this." And then freshman year, I was like, "You know what?" I actually like this. I was actually embarrassed. At some point, I was actually embarrassed to be seen as a poet because it was like, when I performed, the first time I performed, I felt weird because it was like, I don't often see people who look like me who are performers, people that do, especially poetry. I don't know any poet that looks like me, except for the, after I met, like I got into involved with the telling room. That's why I was like, oh yeah, there's actually writers. But like, other than that, I was in eighth grade. I was the only poet in the whole entire grade. So I was like, yeah. And I remember the first time I performed, somebody was like, oh, did you steal that from online? I was like, why would I do that? Why Why would you think that? And like, it made me feel so sad. I was like, why can I be a writer? Why do I have to steal this from online? But like, yeah. So how did, how did you get involved with the telling room? My reading teacher connected me with them. And then I got a scholarship for the summer program. Then I was among one of the youngest people to get accepted in the Young Writers and Leaders program. And then, yeah, I've been connected with them since then. And do you read a lot of poetry? I don't. That's the thing. I don't like I don't like reading poetry, but I enjoy writing it. What do you like to read? I'm a horror person. I read horror books. Uh, I don't yeah. like poetry. Like you give me a book of poetry, I would literally look at you like But you like horror. Which write what writers? I read Stephen King a lot. And what kinds of writing are you doing now? A lot of my poems now are like focused a lot on depression. You know, when quarantine started, I my mental health kinda messed up, so I focused on that a lot. I haven't said this out loud, but I think it's a good time. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about quitting poetry, to be honest. What kind of, would you continue to write? I am going to continue writing, but I don't know about continue performing. You do some of this as spoken word. I do spoken word. You're allowed to evolve and change as a writer <laughs> and, a, and a person. Yeah. So. Well, like when I told my teacher, she was like, no, you're not quitting. You're not quitting. You're probably just taking a break. I was like, you know what? That's a good way to put it. I'm taking a break. Voices of the Future is hosted and conceived by me and produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum at Future Projects with help from Carly Perruccio. The music in this episode is by Jordan Kramer. The series is made possible by the Academy of American Poets with funds from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. To learn more about the Telling Room and its programs, visit tellingroom.org. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening.